Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day. Michael Rockman here, joined by Nick Durst. Ladies and gentlemen, we are 10 days away from the NFL Draft. <laughs> we are getting closer, and me and Nick, we are going through it. But Nick, first and foremost, before all things NFL, we got some th- or before all things NFL Draft, we got some NFL things that we need to talk about. Your guy, Alex Smith, officially announced his retirement today. How are you feeling? What do you think about his career? You know, looking back on it now, and what do you think the overall Alex Smith reputation will be once we look at it down the line further on? I'm surprised that he retired, but I guess it's more surprising that there's no market for him. Look at this guy. Comes back off a gruesome injury in 2020. Leads the Washington football team to the playoffs. They cut him and they go with a poor man's Alex Smith and Ryan Fitzpatrick, who doesn't even have half the success of Alex Smith in the league. And you know, you gotta you gotta just remember Alex Smith as a guy who was a consistent winner, but one who never won the big game. I would say he drafted number one overall pick with the 49ers, and of course you gotta always put the asterisks there because. Aaron Rodgers went at the end of the first round to the Packers in that draft. So, you know who was really thankful for Alex Smith? Urban Meyer, because this guy made a ton of money off Alex Smith's awesome season for Utah. And Alex Smith, he is going to go off into the sunset here. He went to the Chiefs, got them on the winning track. Well, everything, he he just won. And, you know, congratulations to Alex Smith on a, a good career. Didn't think it was going to be over, but I guess nobody wanted to sign him. And I don't think it's going to be long before we see this guy in a booth on Sundays calling some games. Absolutely. I think that's very possible. I think we could see him also get a coaching or front office position. There's talks that Washington was trying to get him in a front office position, you know, just as soon as uh, last year, whenever he was still dealing with that injury and they weren't sure if him returning would be possible. You know, Alex Smith already had a very good career that is going to be underrated. But I think the fact that he came back and fought through everything as well as he did is, you know, something that you can't give enough respect for. And that injury, no one knows what personal nightmares he went through and huge props to him for getting through it, getting back to football and winning games in, in the process as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. Great career. Uh, Never won a Super Bowl, but, Stuck around for a long time. Well, now we look at things in the NFL draft and one of the more dangerous positions that are going to really fill up this draft board on day two is the defensive line spot. We're going to start out with number five and that's nose tackle Bobby Brown out of Texas A&M, a junior that really lit up the scene. He was tremendous putting up five and a half sacks at six, four, 321 pounds. He is going to be a problem for offenses. You look at what he can do in terms of filling the middle. He takes on double teams extremely well. He collapses the pocket. And really, he's athletic enough that he can play three-tech or five-tech when needed. Apologies for the stats on there. Must have left off some of the uh, Christian Barmore statistics, so that's inaccurate. But whenever I look at what he can do right away, and I think there's just so much that he can do. But also, you know, this is someone that you're getting on day three. That, for me, is a top-five defensive lineman. He's going to be a great nose tackle, but I think there is going to be some necessary time to develop. He's going to have to improve his run defense. His overall pass rush production probably isn't going to be as appealing at the next level, and there's some inconsistencies in his game. He sometimes over-pursues into the backfield, giving up some run lanes, and I think that's something that a lot of young nose tackles tend to do, and they need to grow and develop in that range in order to become a better version of themselves. And I think Bobby Brown is someone that is going to be an absolute stud once he gets that growth. And, you know, you're looking, like I said, at a, at a guy that's going to be fourth, fifth round pick most likely because of the positional value. And really with his athleticism, I think that he is a very intriguing opportunity for any front office that's looking for someone to plug in the middle. I think of a team, maybe like the Dallas Cowboys who have a need at that one tech position that, you know, can be a nose tackle, can be a one tech, and Bobby Brown does just that, and I think it'd be a perfect fit. I compared him to Jonathan Hankins, someone who's made a living playing in 4-3 defenses despite being a nose tackle type player. So 
that's my comparison for Bobby Brown. I think you look at what he can do, what he brings to the table, and there's plenty of promise. As long as you give him a little bit of patience, it's going to pay off big time. Are you surprised that he would declare after his junior season? Seems like perhaps, you know, with like I say, looking like they're going to be really good next year. He may have helped his draft stock by staying for his senior year. Yeah, I think there was definitely the opportunity to stick around and probably grow his draft stock a good bit. But I'm not too surprised just because his overall presence in the middle was definitely super intriguing, something that a lot of teams are going to have a hard time really ignoring. And if you're a team that needs a nose tackle, you know, maybe even a team like the Tennessee Titans, there's just so many options out there that I think maybe this is a good year for him to declare, especially when you are a young athletic defensive tackle and, you know, interior pressure has become a big part of this league. And it's something that a lot of teams are willing to invest in now. At defensive lineman, number four, Christian Barmore, who may have been the best defensive player in the country for the second half of this season. He started out a little slow. I get that. And he was falling out of the first round, falling out of mocks that were going talking about early top players. But now after a great final, like end of the year, a great off season of athletic testing, he has blown back up to where we originally saw him. He's perfect at gapshooting. He splits holes in the offensive line extremely well. He has great hand strength, and he uses his leverage extremely well. There's some issues in terms of run defense. Needs to be better at tackling more consistently, and I think his pass rush technique needs to be a little bit better in terms of hand usage. I think right now he does a lot with you know just overall hand strength, power, and shooting gaps, but I think as long as he can develop some pass rush moves, he should be able to contribute in the middle of a defense. I compared him to Muhammad Wilkerson, a player that was very talented for the Jets for a long time, had some issues in terms of health and getting off and, you know, showing up to meetings. But I think as long as Barmore is committed to his craft, he could be absolutely special, potentially even better than a Muhammad Wilkerson. This defensive line class is one that's kind of underestimated because maybe the top end talent isn't all the way there, but I do think that there's plenty of potential for star players in this class. And I think looking down the line, we could easily be looking at Christian Barmore as one of the best to come from it. Yeah, Michael, I'm actually uh, glad you don't have him at number one. I know a lot of people have him as number one. Uh, you know, if there is a position that usually comes through big time when it comes to Alabama in the pros, it's definitely the interior defensive line. Uh, good, good tracker there, people. Uh, but I like the M4. He does have some inconsistencies, and there there is some reason to, you know, be concerned. But you know, he did have 12 pressures in the college football playoffs, so he's going up against pretty good offensive lines there. Absolutely, and we move on to number three in my ranks, and that's Davion Nixon out of Iowa. The redshirt junior absolutely lit up the scene and took notice or took everyone's notice in the college football world. In eight short games, he was able to contribute as a pass rusher. He has great size, strength, and he works great leverage at the line. He gets low, and I think that's one thing that maybe gets used against him because he gets so low at the line. A lot of offensive linemen will kind of turn him out from the play, and I think that's something that needs to be better worked on for Nixon is something that, you know, consistency wise can hopefully be improved on. There's some upper body strength issues. I think he's very much a base strength type player. He has a size to where you could potentially see Davion Nixon be rotating all the way throughout this front seven. I'm maybe just the defensive line. Sorry, but you know, he's athletic, but also he has great base strength to where he could potentially be taking some reps at nose tackle, a player that I think is going to be, very solid in the league for a long time. There's so many options really in this defensive line class, but there may not be a more enticing option than Davion Nixon, who can play each position on the defensive line, who has the athletic upside, who has shown the pass rush production and who really just is a consistent player in the game. And, you know, obviously there's still some issues. There's still some growth that's needed, but I think he's demonstrated plenty of, overall talent that could make this guy a day one pick. I compared him to Christian Wilkins, the Miami Dolphins defensive lineman who was a first round pick as well. Davion Nixon, I think is going to have a very similar career, but potentially 
do a little bit more as a pass rusher? Yeah, I think it all depends. Your evaluation all depends on what tape you watch of him. I remember in the uh, the Northwestern game, I think he had like four sacks plus two stop with a run. So and at that point, you're like, wow, this guy's a first rounder. But uh, you know, I think he you had a game against Minnesota where he kind of struggled a little bit. So maybe he's a day two guy. But I I, I definitely think he's going to go in the top sixty picks. Absolutely. And at the defensive line, number two spot, nose tackles matter, ladies and gentlemen. And Tyler Shelvin is one of the best nose tackles in college football and in this draft. 6'2", 350 pounds. Compared him to B.J. Raji, a Green Bay Packers nose tackle. And even Raji was not this size. Shelvin has about 20 pounds on him. Look, if you are looking for someone to plug in the middle and just completely fill up the lane. Shelvin is your guy. You look at his 2019 tape after he opted out in 2020 and him and Dickerson, two guys I am extremely high on was like iron sharp and iron because this was just incredible game to watch. He has nice leverage. He's, you know, kind of shorter, you know, maybe you expect a six, four, three type guy, six, two, three He's almost like a steel box. You're not going to move him. He is just excellent at really making plays in the run game and slowing down the overall lane creation by the offensive line on the negative side of things, you know, there's limited pass rush ability and that's going to happen for most nose tackles. But I think especially with Shelvin's pro day, there wasn't a lot of overall athleticism that we got to see. And I think his hand usage could still improve in terms of disengaging off of blocks and being able to get off of those blocks to quickly get over and fill in those one and three gaps that he could potentially be getting run stops in. I think this is someone that sadly is going to be a day three pick, probably round four. He might sneak into round three, though. And, you know, if you're a team that is in desperate need of just getting a consistent player up the middle, Tyler Shelvin, I think, is someone that not only is going to be a great nose tackle, but I think he's someone that is pro ready and will be able to start on day one at the nose tackle position. Well, Michael, Shelvin is a sure thing in the run game. As long as he can keep his stamina and weight under control, I'm sure that's a bit of a red flag. It's 350 pounds. Big boy, big time there. So uh, don't expect him to be getting, don't expect him to break through and, and get to the quarterback. As you see, zero sacks. Uh, but he could certainly stop the run. Just has to, you know, stay in shape. I'm hoping that sometime in Tyler Shelvin's career, we get to see him get a, a goal line carry into the end zone, see what he can do. Little <laughs> Derrick Henry mode. And at defensive lineman number one, a little bit of a hot take, but not for me and Nick. We each have him as a D-line one spot. Alan McNeil, the <laughs> defensive lineman out of North Carolina State, 6'2", 317 pounds, has the weight to be able to make plays at nose tackle, but really he fires off the snap incredibly well to where I think you are really looking at a guy that's going to be a three tech one tech can play nose tackle. If you need him, he's athletic. He's great off the snap. And I really love his leverage. There's inconsistent motor, you know, some plays he doesn't fire off as well as he should. And there's maybe some gap discipline and control issues. He gets a little off balance, but really when you're looking at what he can do as a playmaker, I think the upside is tremendous. I compare him to Javon Hargrave because it's very similar frames, very similar you know, athleticism coming out into the NFL draft. But I think McNeil has the upside to contribute outside of that nose tackle position, which Hargrave hasn't really done so far, but still very tremendous defensive lineman. If you are looking for someone on day two that I think is going to be a star in the league, McNeil is my pick. And this is going to be someone that NFL teams will look back on and say, well, how do we miss this? Look at the tape. It's, it's obvious. Yeah, and like like you said, we we both agree. The number one guy here. I mean, when it comes down to it, the guy's an immovable force at the nose tackle. He's 320 pounds, but yet he can burst off the line, and he can develop as a pass rusher, as you mentioned. So this guy sounds like a nightmare for offensive lines and quarterbacks. And, hey, he earned the highest uh, defensive run grade among all of the country's defensive tackles this past season, obviously, you know. Some divisions play less games, I get that, but when you're the best in your position, then you should be considered the best prospect at your position as well in the NFL draft. Absolutely, and we got some comments from the comment section. 
I support the BB3 hype. Bobby Brown the third, one of the most underrated players in the SEC last year. Absolutely agree with you. That Texas A&M team really had a lot of very quality, talented players that went under the radar, and they're going to bounce right back this year. I know that Kellen Mond leaving is going to leave some questions at the quarterback position, but there's a lot of talent on that roster, very much a contender for a potential playoff spot if they get things going at that QB spot. And we have another comment saying Dolphins could use a run-stopping defensive tackle. You know, I do think that they could add some depth, but Raquan Davis was one of the best nose tackles in the NFL last year as a rookie, really 6'7", 333 pounds, filled in extremely well for the Dolphins. While I I do think that uh, Flores is going to love the idea of getting more defensive line talent, they also have guys like Christian Wilkins, Adam Butler, who they just signed in free agency, and Zach Seiler as well, who's very underrated. So I don't know. I think I think they may look at other positions more more aggressively than defensive line. And another comment, I'm late, but BB3 is MBR's number one big man. Yep, I mean, absolutely love Bobby Brown III. Love this defensive line class. There's some other options as well, and we're going to talk about them right here. The top defensive linemen for both of us and at – Oh, we got to take off this comment. My apologies. <laughs> so for, oh, there we go. Okay. Rick so is just trying, Rick is trying to hijack the show here. <laughs> so looking at my top 10 at number six, I got Dio out of Yingbo. You look at what he can do and what he's done with injury history. And this guy really has so much potential. He tore his Achilles this off season. And I think that's one of the big things that's caused him to not rise up boards as well as he should. As long as he comes back healthy, and you are willing to redshirt him, you're willing to wait, you're willing to be patient, you are getting a great player. I think he's someone that can play five-tech, three-tech, or move outside the defensive end if you need him. I look at a team like the Bucks, or maybe a team that's not going to be successful year one, like the Jaguars or Jets, and getting a guy like Ode Ingbo could be a huge steal. At number seven, I got Marvin Wilson. A little disappointed on his way in. I think he dropped weight to test better athletically. Still think that there's plenty of potential there. I'd probably want him to put on weight and become a nose tackle, with the pass rush upside rather than a three-tech type player. Still, Marvin Wilson, one of the better big men in this class and definitely an enticing option if you are looking for a defensive lineman in this class. At number eight, I got Chauncey Golston. This guy reminds me of Trey Flowers, and as a Patriots fan, I don't say that lightly. He can set the edge extremely well, stop the run, and just make plays consistently. At number nine, I got Carlos Basham Jr. Nick has him as an edge. I think he's more of a down lineman regardless of scheme. Yes, he's probably going to be defensive end no matter what, but I think that indicates if you're playing DN in a 3-4 that you are a defensive lineman. Basham, definitely an enticing option for Wake Forest and was one of the best players in the ACC. Definitely could be an option, you know, in that 3-4, 4-3 versatile defensive end. And at number 10, Tommy Togai, a defensive lineman that's just extremely dependable in the run game. Someone that I think probably goes a little bit higher than a lot of people will anticipate because of his safe play and just overall dependability. Nick, give us a little bit of insight on your top 10 and your opinions on some of the players. Well, first, I mean, Rick, my guy Rick here is trying to take over the show, but, you know, he, he's got Marvin Wilson as his number one guy here. I have him number two. I guess I'm growing on Rick here. Uh, Ted, I guess, disagrees with me and Rick saying Marvin Wilson at number two. Is this 2019? And then lastly, Rick says, Wilson has great size. He has a mean pass rush and has significant improvement in the run game this year and will only get better with good coaching. I want to give a shout-out here. I'm going to highlight some guys. So Milton Williams, Louisiana Tech. That's our big discrepancy here. You don't have him on your rankings. Uh, put together – an all-time pro day, Michael. He did a 4.67 40-yard dash. Doesn't really matter for a defense, interior defensive line, I don't know. But he also had a 38-and-a-half-inch vertical at 284 pounds. So he, I mean, he's a pure three-technique guy who came on strong down the stretch this past season. And I, I think there there is some hope there for him moving forward. Uh, any thoughts on him since he did not crack your top ten? Oh, absolutely. You know, Milton Williams is one of the more enticing options in this draft class at the defensive tackle spot. The athleticism is there. You know, on tape, you can turn it on. You'll see flashes of great play. Overall, though, I didn't love his balance. I thought he got tossed to the ground too easily. He's a he's a major work in progress. 
But if he lands in the right spot, especially in a place, you know, like Denver with Vic Fangio or just somewhere that's going to have a solid plan for him to develop, I think he's going to be an absolute stud. But, you know, based on what I saw on tape, I wasn't sold on him. And there's just so many issues for me. But really, it's it's very landing spot dependent for him because there's definitely the upside there. And if you're buying it, then I absolutely agree with you that he's a top top five defensive tackle. All right. How about now? I have number three here. Uh, I, I don't even gonna attempt per, to pronounce his last name. Well, we'll just say Osa here. Uh, he, I think he could be covered in by a lot of teams in a three-four defense to get to scheme. He's got a combination, of, you know, of anchor and length, and you know, he's pretty solid there. Uh, any any thoughts on him? Yeah, Odigzua is someone that I am actually a fan of. He's my defensive lineman number twelve. I don't want this ranking having him not on it to be indicated that I wasn't a fan, you know, him, Jalen Twyman, there's plenty of options that didn't make this list that are still very enticing in this draft. And he has great burst. I think the versatility, like you talked about is great. And I think he offers some really powerful hands, but I do have some question marks over his overall body control. I think he gets a little wild whenever he's coming in and it kind of loses his ability to target in on players when he's trying to make the tackle. I think he gets overextended a little bit too much at the line. Still, you know, I agree with you, though, that this is definitely a player that could be very interesting to watch, and it wouldn't shock me at all if we're looking at this five years down the line that Osa is one of the better defensive linemen in this class. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Tagiaya, uh, I'm saying that wrong. I apologize, Tommy. I know you're watching. Uh, he's disruptive at times, but I don't know. I just feel like there's just not enough. We haven't seen enough of him, really. So I, I, I couldn't get a good read on him but we have them in similar spots here in our rankings. Yeah, the one name that I'm realizing both of us have kind of snubbed is uh, Jay Tufele. So I feel like I got to address it somewhat. I think, you know, I, I turn it on and I don't see an aspect of his game that really wows me. There's definitely strengths, and I think there's definitely plays where he has warranted hype. But, you know, the pass rush upside I didn't see – I think overall his base strength was too easily moved off of his lane and really just opened up for running back opportunities. And I didn't see a lot of range out of him in terms of tackling over into other lanes to stop the run. When you're looking at a three tech, I I really want someone that's going to be able to burst over to multiple lanes as a run defender or be able to offer some upside as a pass rusher. And I didn't see that in either regard for Jay Tefele. Obviously someone that's probably going to be a round two, maybe round three pick, but you know, for me, I'm just completely out on him. Obviously, I wish that he works out, and I hope that I'm wrong. But from what I saw on tape, I just I couldn't I couldn't buy in. Fair enough. All right, uh, this is uh, we got another comment here from Earth Earthplane. We got a lot of a lot of viewers right now on the live stream, so I appreciate that. What do you think about Rap's comment about the D tackle class being weak? I think that maybe up top, there's not this home run pick that's just guaranteed even you know someone like barmore who's probably going to be the first defensive lineman off the board has plenty of risk factor into him so i think that's why it's considered weak but overall there's plenty of options in this class that you know you look at it two three years down the line a lot of these guys maybe won't be starting but there's going to be plenty of starters from this class that are contributing and making a name for themselves in the nfl i get that you know in terms of prospect potential maybe it doesn't have as much upside we're probably not going to get an Aaron Donald or a DeForest Buckner out of this class but there's plenty of great players that can contribute in a major way at the NFL so it's it's maybe not as flashy but I I wouldn't call it weak all right well obviously it's not weak uh but like you're saying not flashy but there are other positions here that we do need to get to which are typically, especially with edge rush, are very flashy. Absolutely. And at number five, we're talking about Peyton Turner, edge rusher out of Houston in five games, had five sacks, ten and a half tackles for loss, six pressures. He was dominant all season, putting up some great power moves. He has one of the best bull rushes in the NFL. I think he has a great frame at 6'5", 270 pounds versatility to play inside at five tech or just out on the edge. I think he can work as a stand-up rusher as well. That's why I have him rated as an edge. I think there's still some issues. I think he depends too much on his bull rush as a pass rusher. And I think he needs to improve his overall hand usage. And I think he gets playing too straight up at times and may not offer the coverage ability that you may want out of your 
versatile edge rushers, but still, I think this is someone that's going to be a very dependable player at the next level. I compared him to Sam Hubbard of the Cincinnati Bengals. I think he's going to be a consistent run stopper that produces pretty well as a pass rusher as well. Looking in that day two range, I gave him a B2 grade, meaning I expect him to be a solid starter out the gates and then really kind of keep up to potentially have that potential to be a good starter in the league. And what I think is most enticing, though, is that bull rush, and he really just overwhelms offensive right. tackles consistently. Yeah, before he got hurt, Michael, he was dominant in four games. Uh, he's got an ideal build for an edge rusher. He's, I think he's got – I think his, his arms are like 35, 36 inches. So, uh, you know, he's definitely, you know, good for the bull rush. That's for sure. Absolutely. And at number four, we got Quiddy Pay. Edge out of Michigan, probably the first edge rusher that'll fly off the board. 6'2", 261 pounds, 22 years old. In four games, he had two sacks, four tackles for loss, 20 pressures. One of the best bends in this class. He's excellent at cornering off of the tackle into the QB. I compared him to Pernell McPhee, a very similar framed 3-4 outside linebacker, and I think that's the best type of play style for uh, Pay working in a 3-4, allowing him to work as a stand-up rusher and really giving him that more outside opportunity to corner as well as he does. I think overall he needs to improve in terms of inside rushing and just dealing with big tackles. But at the same time, you know, he just offers so much as a pass rusher that a lot of teams are going to really be willing to pick this guy. I think he's someone that's going to be a top 10 pick, whether that's as early as Atlanta or maybe somewhere in that uh, – in that Dallas to Denver range at nine and 10 and really just looking at what Quiddy pay has to offer. I can't say that it's a bad pick at all to take him. In yeah. I think this guy's going to fly off the board and he's got the kind of physical tools that don't come around every class, whether it's his, you know, some par six and a half second, three cone drill. I mean, I'm not really put too much into these drills, but I'm giving you these numbers anyway, because a lot of people love them and, he, his 36 bench press reps did his pro day. He's the definition of a built different type of guy. And this season, we really saw, kind of saw him kind of start put it all together. And, uh, you know, some people say, oh, Michigan struggled, whatever, but they still have some good players. Absolutely. And Quiddy Pay's production with two sacks may be something that you aren't, you know, raving about. But 20 pressures in four games is, is insanely impressive. At edge three, we got Aziz Ojulari, 20 years old, 6'2", 250 pounds. Maybe not the biggest guy, but definitely has the athleticism, bend, and versatility, can drop into coverage. I really like his fit in a place like Baltimore where he can, you know, maybe drop off and drop into zones at times, but also really get that opportunity as a stand-up pass rusher. I think he needs to improve overall in terms of consistency. A lot of times he ran hot and cold as a player, and I think overall his pass rush plan could do better in terms of breaking off of blocks. I compare him to D Ford, someone who's kind of similar in size, currently playing in that 4-3 defense, but I think he best operates as a 3-4 edge. And Aziz Ojulari, I think it's very similar. You look at what he did over the season, 9.5 sacks, 12.5 tackles for loss, 28 pressures over 10 games. Ojulari at 20 years old probably has one of the highest ceilings out of this edge class from anyone. And if you are a defensive coach that trusts yourself to develop Ojulari has to be extremely enticing. Yeah. I mean, he has the length to get by on the edge. He uses his hands. Well, really about as well as anybody in the class. And he's got his patented cross chop. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting though to see though with his size, if he could be a, a three down player. Absolutely. And now we look at edge rusher number two, Jalen Phillips. The big question mark about Jalen Phillips is that he had to medically retire due to concussions. He was forced to, but also there's some issues as well in terms of gap discipline, playing straight up at the edge. But really, there's so much potential here. He's an athletic combine freak, put up some great games, has great length and great quickness. I stole the comparison from Lance Erline, Max Crosby, and I think, it really makes a lot of sense. He's got a lot to offer as a pass rusher, but I think he needs to do better in terms of containing the edge as a run defender. If he can do that, he is going to be a very great 
defensive end in this class. 6'5", 260 pounds, no concerns about his size. I think he's going to go day one. There's talks that he could potentially be the first edge off the board instead of pay. I think it's going to be between these two. But Jalen Phillips, I think, is going to be a very good 4-3 defensive end in the NFL for a long time. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely put it all together for the Hurricanes last season. You know, great amount of pressure is there. It's a five, he's five-star. Uh, remember, he was at UCLA, as you mentioned, he was forced to retire due to concussions. So, took 2019 off, comes back, shows you why it was so highly touted. He mentioned he's got the physical tools you want for a position, but the injury history is concerning. Absolutely, and I think it's big that he was able to come out and have that big season because even early in this year, people would maybe mock him in the third round and say, oh, he's got the athletic upside, but a lot of people weren't because you know he never produced. This year, he finally put it together in terms of production, and I think that momentum is probably going to carry him even to the NFL to where he can put up a better rookie season than you know, maybe his rookie season in college. And at edge one, a guy that I've been riding for this entire draft cycle, he kind of dropped in the edge rankings, but in time he's worked his way back up. Joseph Osai, edge rusher mm-hmm. out of Texas. First and foremost, I just want to say this entire edge class, there's like nine guys that you could just hit the randomized button. And I, I probably wouldn't have an issue with the order at all even from my own rankings, because this class is extremely balanced. I think there's so many guys that offer upside and potential that really it's almost a crapshoot just how they're going to end up in terms of a hindsight ranking. But for me, I'm going with Joseph Osai at edge one, 6'4", 256 pounds, five and a half sacks in nine games, 15.5 tackles for loss, 26 pressures. The big thing about him is he's versatile, and I think that's why I'm most enticed by him. You can drop him back to linebacker if you need. He can play off the edge. The biggest issue for him is he needs some development. You know, he's a little slow off the snap, and I think getting those instincts better would be absolutely huge. He needs, you know, just overall refinement in terms of pass rush. I think right now he depends on his powerful long arms and athleticism. That kind of gets him by. But assuming you can grow his game, work with him, get him to take those next steps. He's still only 21 years old, just turned it back in uh, back six days ago. So very young player. If you can work with him, I think you are getting an absolute stud at the edge position. I compare him to Matthew Judon, someone that, you know, has the mishaps, but at the same time is a very versatile and talented edge rusher. And I think that's what really intrigues me about Joseph, Joseph Osai. Yeah. I mean, he really, he really started playing on the line of scrimmage full time this past year. Right. So a lot of potential, untapped potential there, Michael. Absolutely. And I think even in the linebacker ranks, he would probably still end up at least in my top 10, probably in the top five, though. I'm a big fan of his game, and I think that's why I, I just am so intrigued about what he can do at the next level. And, you know, we look at the edge rushers in this class, looking at the top 10s for me and Nick Durst. At number six, I have Gregory Rousseau, someone that was hyped as one of the top edge rushers entering the season. You know, there's some issues in terms of overall athleticism, but he still sets the edge extremely well. He's got great length, and he uses it to his advantage. Patrick Jones at number seven. Joe Tryon out of Washington at number eight. Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa at number 10. And Jason Owa, the edge rusher out of Penn State at number 10. Nick, we see your top 10 right here. Why don't you go through it and talk to us a little bit about it? Yeah, so I think O is our big discrepancy here. He may have not recorded a sack last year, but it was still making an impact in the pass rush. Big improvement in his game from 2019. Uh, and he had like a freakish type of day at his pro day at the edge position. And you remember, this guy only started playing football in 2016. So it's pretty incredible five years later that he's going to be going to the NFL draft here. Uh, I like Rousseau a little more than you. Uh, but you know, what an impressive defensive line there for Miami. He exploded. He had you know, a monster 16-sack redshirt freshman campaign in 2019. Opted out last year, so maybe that, that's hurting him a little bit. Um, Carlos Basham, someone that I like, of course, as you see in my rankings. He has an elite, he has elite explosiveness. He's 285 pounds, but he can move. Gets off uh, – his get off with will will chat like when he's you know right off 
the whistle and he challenges every tackle he faces. And that being said, you know, he is less physical than his size would suggest. Uh, but, you know, overall here, we, we have a lot of similarities uh, in our rankings. The big, the only difference really, you know, is your number nine guy, Ellerson Smith, that I have, Rashad Weaver there at 10 uh, from Pittsburgh, came back off a torn ACL last year. So, you know, we'll see what happens two years post that. Uh, but he's long limbed edge rusher who wins with his hands and play strength. And he had 48 pressures uh, this past season. Absolutely. A very talented edge rusher. That Pittsburgh defensive line was phenomenal. And, you know, there's plenty of edge rushers that weren't on this list. Charles Snowden out of Virginia, I think, is a versatile Swiss Army knife type player that could be a key depth player that could potentially start at the NFL. And I like Cam Sample, Victor Dimokeje, Sample out of Tulane, Dimokeje out of Duke. Jonathan Cooper out of Ohio State, the Florida State edge rushers with Janarius Robinson and Joshua Kando. And then, you know, there's also some other options as well that are being underappreciated in terms of Roche out of Miami, Florida, Ogundeji out of Notre Dame. There's plenty of options in this edge rushing class, and we're probably even insulting people that we aren't listing because there's so many great enticing players that could potentially become very good contributors at the next level but we are going to move on now to the last spot and that is linebacker and at linebacker five Pete Warner out of Ohio state. I've talked about it a little bit before six, three, 238 pounds, 21 years old turns 22 in June. One of the most intriguing things about Pete Warner has to be his floor. Despite being probably a day two pick. I think that Pete Warner has one of the best floors in this class Processes extremely well. Had a phenomenal pro day to really put any athleticism question marks to bed. There's some issues in terms of block shedding and blitzing ability. He's a little bit thin in this frame, but really, if you are looking for a player to step in and just be a consistent player for 10, 12 years at the linebacker position, Pete Warner is who I bet my money on to have the longest career because this wow. guy is just so well-rounded in his game. He can cover. He can He can stop the run. He can make plays outside of the tackle box. He is going to make plays in the NFL, and I really trust him to find a great spot to land and make a great career for himself. Yeah, not a lot of wow plays on his tape, but he's not going to be limited at the NFL level either. Uh, an ideal blend of size and athleticism for the position, that's for sure. Absolutely. At linebacker for Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, the safety linebacker hybrid, 6'2", 221 pounds, 21 years old, turns 22 in November. He put up 62 tackles, flow, flies all over the field. He's the ultimate chess piece. You know, we saw it last year with Isaiah Simmons, all the hype about that. They aren't the same player, but they offer similar versatility, and I think that's why J.O.K. is going to be a first-round pick. He's got great range and athleticism. The issue is, can he handle the new size of the NFL with a limited frame himself? Can he get through blocks better? And he's still developing as a linebacker. I think it's still relatively new for his play style. So as he grows in that game, I expect him to get better. I compare him to Deion Jones, a similar athlete with a similar frame, really just someone that could potentially be one of the better linebackers that doesn't get talked about enough in the NFL. Yeah, Michael, uh, he ticks all the boxes. You want to see from a linebacker. He's explosive, he's versatile, he's instinctive, uh, and this guy can cover. He can cover a lot of people. He covers so much ground in coverage, uh, and he's, he's 221 pounds. So that type of coverage prowess for the position is very rare. Absolutely. And at linebacker three, we got Jamin Davis out of Kentucky, the redshirt junior. Really kind of surprised when he declared. A lot of people hadn't looked into his tape yet. In terms of the draft community, I'm sure scouts were already all over him, but the community took notice. Really, the, the day after he declared, people started watching and people started talking about him, and it's clear that there's potential for him to become a star in the league. I think his frame's a little bit underdeveloped. He could add some pounds, add some mass to his frame, and it will improve his overall play strength. But he offers great range, great athleticism, and I think he processes very well. 
He does a nice job getting low under blocks and making plays in that regard. Again, you know, there's still some issues in terms of getting baited by fakes. He likes to bite on those moves, and I think he needs to improve just getting through traffic a little bit, block shedding, and really just overall aggressiveness in his play. But if he puts on weight, I think this guy is going to have a very similar skill set to K.J. Wright, one of the best linebackers in the league, was second fiddle to Bobby Wagner in Seattle, but still a very talented option. And I think Jamin Davis has similar skill set, needs to add weight, obviously, but still similar size, similar length, and similar ability in terms of what they do on the field. Yeah, Davis put it together for one heck of a season in his first year as a starter in 2020. And he ran a four, he ran in the four fours at his pro day and tied the record for highest vertical jump ever recorded by an off-ball linebacker at 42 inches. He has a lot of athletic tools and can certainly potentially turn into a do-it-all linebacker in the NFL. Absolutely. And at linebacker two, we got Zavin Collins out of Tulsa. The 6'5", 260 pound linebacker can fly across the field he is excellent in terms of processing he sniffs out screens he's versatile he can play the edge if you need him and really he's got great coverage ability he needs to improve in terms of aggressive play being able to improve as a run stopper and really just improving his block shedding ability i compare him to anthony Barr, someone that also has edge versatility in minnesota i really love their frames i think it's an easy comparison something that's been you know, kind of echoed all draft seasons by many, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Anthony Barr is definitely the guy I would compare Zayvon Collins to, and I think that there's just a lot here that you can be intrigued by. 54 tackles over eight games with four interceptions. That's an interception every other game. Some cornerbacks weren't even doing that, so that's just an absolutely great stat line with four sacks as well, seven and a half tackles for loss. Zayvon Collins can do it all. Obviously, still some room to grow but Zayvon Collins offers tremendous upside. Yeah, Collins is a beast. Uh, been liking him all, all year. He's very unique. He's six foot five, 260 pounds, but he's not physically limited by any means at that size. And while it won't be for everyone, for certain schemes, he's going to be very coveted, and he's going to be an impact linebacker in the NFL for many years, I believe. Absolutely, and I think one place that's been rumored is the New England Patriots. I know I'm a Patriots fan here, but I want to ask your thoughts on it. If they were to <laughs> miss out on the QBs, do you think Collins is the right way to go, or do you think they should look at other positions? How do they do? I got to pay, play uh, 11, 11 linebackers uh, to, <laughs> per game. I mean, if, listen, if Collins is your top guy on the board at that point, you got to take him because this guy is going to be a tremendous difference maker. Uh, and, and that's the way I would look at it for any team, not just the Patriots. Absolutely, and I think there's plenty of teams out there that have a similar Patriots-style defense. Maybe the Giants themselves could surprise and take a Zayvon Collins as high as 11. It's been someone that I think has been a little low in terms of where they land in the mock drafts as compared to where they'll be on draft day. Expect Zayvon Collins to be in the first half of the first round. And at linebacker one, I got Micah Parsons out of Penn State, really does it all, 6'3", 246 pounds, 21 years old, can rush off the edge if you need him. He makes plays in the run game. He can cover pretty well. He's got great length, but also just the overall power and athleticism in his game ran a 4'3", 840 at 246 pounds. Insane. Has some short arms, but I think he still has the athleticism to make up for it. Misfires at times, and obviously the off-field concerns. I'm not going to speculate too much, but it is something that has gotten notable enough to be a part of his draft process. Every NFL team is going to be doing their homework, getting info on what happened, interviewing this guy nonstop, trying to see what type of person he is, and really just seeing if they can really make it work in the locker room, talking to their own players, getting their opinions on that. And if a team checks all three and says, this is all good, then they might look at him in the top half of the first. But if a team doesn't like what they see in that regard, he may be off their board entirely. So this is someone that I think has probably the most 
wavering draft stock because there's going to be teams that say we won't take them no matter what. And there's going to be teams that say, well, we, we like him a lot. You know, the rumor is Miami is really high on him. Who knows where he's going to end up landing. Raiders have also been rumored to be all in on him. So we'll see what happens But Micah Parsons. If you are looking for a do it all linebacker, this is one of the best options you can find. Michael, what, what can we say about Parsons? He's quite easily the best blitzing off ball linebacker we've seen in seven years. So it's no surprise that he's ranking first here for you. You know, I don't know what he could do in coverage really for the most part. We've only seen him as a true freshman and sophomore, but Parsons is truly a special prospect. Absolutely. And we're looking at the top 10 linebackers for me and Nick Durst at number six. I got Jabril Cox out of LSU, a coverage specialist. I think you look at what Indianapolis did to their linebacker unit and they were able to really make do with these coverage specialists. So now a team that needs linebackers and has the Indianapolis influence, Philadelphia is probably the perfect landing spot for Jabril Cox. At number seven, I got Baron Browning, and this is someone that I think has tremendous upside, can play off the edge if needed, a rush linebacker, but also I think with proper development and improvement in his processing can be an absolute star in this class, and really Baron Browning, someone to watch if you are looking for a day two steal. Number eight, Dylan Moses, someone that was hyped as a first-rounder coming into the season, someone that was hyped as a first-rounder as a true freshman at Alabama, but really has had his issues. Another processing type issue for Dylan Moses. As long as he can get his processing down, though, I think he's going to be a stud in the NFL. Still makes plenty of great plays. At number nine, I got Cameron McGrone, a coverage linebacker at Michigan, 6'1", 235. I think he plays a lot like Quan Alexander. If you're looking for someone to be that will linebacker, Cameron McGrone, I think, can be a very solid day two pick. And at number 10, I got Nick Bolton, the run stuffer out of Missouri. Great short area quickness, works downhill extremely well. I think there's some issues in terms of overall athleticism, but Bolton is going to make a career for himself, probably a third-round pick. You know, think about a guy like Anthony Hitchens, who's just great at coming downfield and stopping the run. Nick Bolton does a lot of the same. And yeah. Nick, maybe a little maybe a little Nick bias for you to have him up here at yeah. number four, but the next your number ten or your top ten and yeah, the next the next gotta stick together. So <laughs> I mean Bolton, you can make the argument is the most instinctive linebacker in the class. He's gotten his hands on the ball a lot despite being small for position. Eleven pass breakups and two interceptions in the past two seasons where he has racked up stops in both the run and as I mentioned, the pass game. So uh, incredibly talented guy there. Just at least you went over Cox a moment ago. So let me jump to my number six guy here because uh, that's kind of where you don't have him on the board. Chaz Surratt. Maybe I just like North Carolina too much, but he this guy used to be a quarterback, Michael. So imagine making the move from quarterback to linebacker and still maybe getting drafted uh, of all positions to switch to. It's pretty crazy. So. He, he made his presence felt for the Tar Heels defensively, had 56 stops in his first season as starter. Uh, but, you know, he also had an issue sometimes with missed tackles. So we'll see what happens there. Something There was something to, to keep an eye on moving forward here. Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, for the most part, you know, we have our, our top 10 here, and there's people in different directions here. But, um you know, uh, I'm going to answer this weird question from some spammer here as well, real quick. So, let's see who I think the best footballer in the world is. Uh, it's Tom Brady. But uh, thanks for asking. So, he he wants to know if it's Messi, Ronaldo, uh, and Papa, <laughs> Neymar, Lewandowski, or Zlatan. Uh, you can go check out Chris Landry Soccer for that. But thanks for the question. Appreciate you watching. Yeah, absolutely. This linebacker class has some options that are going to be enticing. And, you know, we always try to talk about some guys that maybe weren't mentioned. And we talk about Justin Hilliard in Nick's rankings, but also some other guys. Maybe Buddy Johnson out of Texas A&M is one that I'm a big fan of. I think he has traditional Mike-type skill set, maybe a little bit undersized for the position, but still does very well in terms of range and overall just run-stopping ability. Grant Stewart out of Houston is another player that I think has plenty of potential KJ Britt out of Auburn and Ernest Jones out of South Carolina. If you're looking for a linebacker in this class, I think there's 
some very good options, but also there's some very good depth if you're looking for some backup options as well. And really, there's just so much talent in this class. You know, maybe I'm a fool for being as high on all of them, all the positions as much as I am. But really, this this draft is going to be exciting, and I can't wait for it. If you were to really talk about today the top three positions that we talked about, you know, defensive line, edge, and linebacker, which group would you say you like the most in terms of just overall talent? Well, I mean, it's a, the, the top of the linebackers are special with Parsons and Collins, but I mean, how do you, how do you not go with, with the edge? Uh, there, there's some guys here that I think could be coming and instantly get, you know, 10 sacks, which is, uh, it's not as easy as it sounds. So you get the two guys from Miami, Cody Pay, uh, you know, Oa from Penn State. Um, you know, it's just going to be, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to see. And, uh, you know, we will let it all unfold next week. Absolutely. This Friday, we are talking to you about secondary. We got guest host Eric Crocker coming on to the show, former professional NFL football player and cornerback specialist. And he is going to be talking about the secondary for this draft class. We'll also do a quick segment talking about the specialists of this class. Nick's got his kickers and his punters ready to be discussed. We are excited for it. The draft is 10 days away and we are getting ready for it here on destination draft day. We'll see you on Friday. Thanks to everyone in the comment section. Thanks to LandryFootball.com for the platform. Take care, everybody.